Hey everyone, Hoppo here. Unfortunately, I haven't been able to get into the studio because of the COVID outbreak, so the quality of these episodes may not be as good as usual. But stay safe, and uh, we'll get through all this together. Welcome to Life's a Beach. I'm Bruce Hopkins, better known as Hoppo from Bondi Rescue. Each week I'll be sharing some stories, the good, the bad, and everything in between. I'll be chatting to guests about their life experiences and giving our listeners an insight to the challenges we have faced in our lives. We'll share a few jokes and some banter along the way, and hopefully our experiences will resonate with you. As the saying goes, while life's a beach, it can also be a bitch. Hey everyone, this week on Life's a Beach. He's been in the beach shack before with Beach Banner, but this time, lifeguard Clint Clipper Kimmins talks about how he ended up from being on top of the world to being in a jail cell. Clint's life was turned upside down in a split second. Clint goes through the dark times and how he got himself back to some normality. Then we have the rest of the show as usual. Now let's have a listen to my chat with Clint. Uh, this week in the Beach Shack, it's a pleasure to have Clint Kimmins. He's come down from the Goldie, and he's been working a few years now with us at, as a lifeguard at Bondi. But he's got a good story, uh, which I think everyone will be interested in listening to on on how you can uh, be going well, have dark times, how you get out of those times, and then uh, into today where you're uh, doing extremely well. So welcome, Clint. Hello, Hob. Thanks for having me on, mate. Happy to be here. Yeah, it's good, mate. Uh, what I um, want to chat about today, you've, you've got a story you were talking uh, to me about uh, a while ago when you first started uh, at the, as a lifeguard at Bondi. And probably to set the, the picture, you were born and you, know, you lived up in the Goldie for most of your life. Um, and then give us a little bit about that and then we'll go into the, uh, the next part of your story. Uh, yeah, mate. Basically, grew up on the Gold Coast, which is up in Queensland, um, up in the warm part of the east coast of Australia, for all those that don't know. But uh, pretty much the Gold Coast is known as somewhat of a surf mecca. Uh, it's bred a lot of professional surfers, um, a lot of key football players. Pretty much growing up there, it's it's like if you don't do sport it's you're not well known it's like if you read the paper up on the gold coast it's pretty much all the professional surfers all the football players and uh all the top athletes on the front and back of the newspaper up there so uh being fortunate enough to grow up in such a great place i did all the sports growing up did a lot of cricket uh played a lot of football um played a lot of golf uh but i was really really in love with surfing and uh pretty much any time that I was meant to be playing cricket or training for footy, I was in the water and they couldn't drag me out of it. So, yeah, just kept following that on. I had a very successful competitive career as a junior. I think probably one of my greatest accomplishments was winning a junior world title at 16 years years old and then uh, following that through to the professional ranks. Yeah, so, yeah, tell us a bit more about the professional ranks. You know, uh, you went and travelled the world. Yeah, so in Australia, we've got a really good junior program here, or we used to call the Australian Junior Series, um, which pretty much bred all the best junior surfers from around the country. And 
a natural progression from that was going on to the world ranks, uh, a tour that they call the WQS, which stands for World Qualifying Series. Basically, that is the second tier from the highest level of surfing, which is the World Tour, the WCT, World Championship Tour. And uh, coming out of the junior series, I had you know really good results, had a lot of confidence, had a bunch of really really good sponsors, and um, you know essentially the world was my oyster. I really thought that I was just going to progress naturally into the professional ranks, have the same success I did as a junior, and um, live happily ever after life on tour. But as I I soon found out, it, it's not all that easy. Uh, Surfing on the WQS can be very tricky. Uh, traveling to all corners of the globe, you know, places like Scotland, Japan, all throughout Europe, Hawaii, um, Indonesia, all these great places where you have all these contests, but the waves aren't as good. So you have to really change the way you surf to be able to adapt to these small conditions. And basically, long story short, I got onto the WQS tour and I barely made it through a heat. Whereas on the junior series, I was pretty much winning everything or getting in finals and not going to say finding it quite easy because it sounds arrogant, but um, you know, that's just, I was getting all these awesome results. And then all of a sudden I was just getting my butt kicked and, Instead of just being able to pack your bags and drive home four hours, you had to fly two days to get yourself out of there. And um, you know the financial costs, the stress, uh, and also the pressure, I guess, really got to me. And um, yeah, started going a little bit loopy. I, I think just yeah, just um, didn't know how to lose basically. Right. So that sort of was a, a dark time there where you didn't know how to handle that situation. Well, you would have seen. Still being pretty young. So how old were you then when you were you know, trying to make the QS but you know, not, not getting the results that you wanted? Yeah, basically I, I left the junior series a little bit earlier than most guys do because of the results I was getting. I wanted to kickstart my WQS campaign to try and get on tour as early as possible. Uh, so I was about 19 or 20 years old when I started doing the WQS full-time. Yeah, I guess I guess that one of the main lessons in the sporting sense is that I think things come very easy when you're winning like it's when you're winning everything's easy you know you just things just seem to flow and fall into your lap but when you start to lose I think that's where the real lessons come from because how to deal with adversity whether you blame things whether you blame your equipment your craft the conditions or whether you just suck it up and really take it upon yourself to ask yourself the questions of why why I'm not doing well. So for me, I really went away and started scratching my head and um, I started to train a lot harder. As a junior, I pretty much just got through all these competitions by just, again, I'm not gonna say arrogance or anything, but I think I just, I don't know, I was just so confident that I didn't even for a second think about losing and then when I started to really get my butt kicked I was just like hold on a second like this isn't how it's meant to go so yeah. I really had to go back to the drawing board personally and ask myself these questions of why why is why isn't it working and you know I was fortunate to have a couple coaches and a few people on my side but basically I was out there on my own doing it myself so I, I had to take it upon myself to figure things out and uh yeah sometimes i can get pretty tricky at such a young age and then when you said you know that the failure did you obviously when you came back to the goldie and were thinking about you know what what 
how you can improve and, and, and get back to where you were as a junior. But was that detrimental to you? With it, did that get in your head then that the failure part of it? Uh, it it did a little bit, yes, because again, I was very fortunate that I had this side to my career where. I also really love to surf big waves and a lot of the time those big wave exploits weren't in competition, they were more or less photo trips. So I was getting really good publicity for my sponsors and you know I was fortunate enough to be on the magazine front covers multiple times and I was always in ads and double page spreads and posters and all that sort of thing. So I had this other side to my career that I could somewhat fall back on. So I wasn't really in panic stations, but more or less the competitive side, like I wanted to get onto that world tour and the way things were going on the WQS, that just wasn't really going to happen. So, um, you know, I'd go home and not even surf that much. I'd just end up training a lot and train probably too much. Looking back now, I put too much stress and emphasis on trying to force things a little bit and not just letting it flow and surfing and just being in the ocean as you can attest to is something that you can't force sometimes you just have to you know it sounds corny but ride the wave of life or let things flow and let things come to you in the ocean and basically i started chasing my tail and um started going backwards and then um what decision did you make then did you so I'm going to go back on the QS or you thought, no, I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm going to go and do another sport. What was the decision in, in that period? Uh, I I always wanted to. I, I, I've got that personality where I don't know whether it's OCD or <laughs> what it is. I just I can't leave any stone unturned. I really like to see things through and get to the bottom of either why it did or didn't work. So for me, it was a no-brainer. I really was going to commit to the WQS and um, keep going at keep going at that and then uh, life took a really really big turn on me actually when I was at home um, training for another event I think I had about a three-week period at home between events and I was training and surfing and um, yeah long story short what's crazy I uh, went to a friend's 21st birthday party ended up getting in a fight there and the guy who I had a fight with ended up being hospitalized and um, I got charged with unlawful wounding, which is just you know, something I'd never thought in my life I'd have to deal with, not only being in a fight, but uh, all of a sudden being, you know, having a charge on you that's pretty serious. Mm. So that was just a, a split second. So how old were you then? I think I was 19 or 20 years old. I don't know exactly. I'm pretty bad with, you know, all that stuff. You hear guys in the pub going, oh, back in 1912, I was down at the the Margaret Inn. I was like, mate, I can't remember any of that stuff. So, mate, I, I think I was about 19 or 20 years old. Yeah. Because I think a lot of people listening, and, and they'll probably resonate with with what you're saying, and people have either been in positions like that similar. Um, you know, that's something that you're about to go on to the, you know, being a pro surfer and trying to get on that, uh, the, the QS and, and do that suddenly your life's just turned upside down without even uh, you know any type of notice um, how did you then deal with that after because obviously sponsors wouldn't be happy with that um, other parts of your life and it would have turned it upside down you know if you got a charge traveling becomes an issue so how did that deal with uh, initially at the start I wasn't overly concerned of course I was and 
I should probably say a little bit more on the actual incident because you should definitely be concerned over such a serious charge. But essentially, I was at a friend's 21st birthday party. A bunch of guys gate crashed this party and were carrying on like thugs and smashing things and just, you know, pretty much just going through the party and, you know, slapping girls on the bum and just doing all these things that weren't really right. We went up to them, you know, tried to get them kicked out of the party. They wouldn't want to leave. A fight broke out on the dance floor between myself and one of the guys. And then they got ejected from the party. Security jumped in and finally they got tossed out of there. Party went on for a couple more hours. And then as we were leaving the party, these guys, I think, left, came back with a bunch more people and were somewhat trying to jump us when we left the party. As soon as we got downstairs, big fight broke out. And then before I knew it, I just felt these dull, big thuds in the back of my head and I was on the ground getting kicked in the head. And then looked to the side and there was, a, there was a small little bit of broken bottle, picked it up, closed my eyes and just started waving it around as hard and fast as I could pretty much. And unfortunately, it got the guy that I was fighting in the neck, in the shoulder, and then there was also a wound on his back. But yeah, all of a sudden, you know, my life just turned on its head. I went from trying to leave a party mildly drunk to not even because the waves were going to be good the next day. The thing with these sort of stories are people like to jump to conclusions and think, oh, you know, young pro surfer at a party, probably had an ego, was probably blind drunk, was probably carrying on. But, you know, everyone that was there sort of knows the case that that was not it at all and not trying to play the fiddle or somewhat feel sorry for myself. But, you know, things, they sound a lot worse than what they are. You know, I was just trying to get out of there and all of a sudden I was put in a position where I had to defend myself and as the judge said in his summary that people unfortunately are faced with these adversities through their life and 99.9% of the time they step over these cracks and lawfully defend themselves. But in my case, I went from lawfully defending myself against the people who were attacking me to crossing an invisible line within the law to unlawfully wounding somebody which is a highly jailable offence. And for the next couple of years, there were no charges pressed or anything like that um, until the police ended up charging me with the unlawful wounding. And uh, yeah, I had to go through trial, which was a three-week trial. And at the time, I had a really decent profile within the local community and the surfing fraternity and the newspapers jumped all over it and, you know, just bagged me out and I had really good days in court where everything went positive and all of a sudden I was picking up the newspaper and I might have been on the front page and it's like professional surfer in stabbing case and all these sort of really negative comments. Um, So yeah, that definitely rocked me but um, I ended up being sentenced to two years in jail to be suspended after six months. And because it was a violent charge, I had to go to a maximum high to maximum security jail. So all of a sudden, one day I'm, you know, a pro surfer, living my dream, living my life, just a normal sort of kid, athlete. And then the next, you know, I'm waking up next to some big tattooed bald guy in a jail cell, you know, fearing for my life and, you know, making sure I don't drop the soap in the shower, so to speak. Yeah. Well, mate, I mean, that, you know, th- You've pretty much then hit rock bottom. You're in jail. What? How do you think? How the hell am I going to get through this? Like you've got six months to get through. 
you're used to just getting up in the morning and going down to the surf and have a wave. Suddenly, like you said, you're in a cell with this this big ball guy. Like what, how mentally did you think, how am I going to get through this? Um, there's a lot of aspects to it. I First and foremost, I was very, very fortunate that I had a really good support network around me. The whole entire surfing community really got behind me. They knew the sort of person I was and they knew that I was defending myself. A lot of them were at the party um, and they were actually in court as character witnesses and you know, trying to produce their own evidence of what happened and whatnot. But um, I have to credit it to, yeah, just the support network of my girlfriend at the time, her family, my friends, the surfing community. But there's also one thing that really sticks out. When I got sentenced or when they said guilty, I thought, okay, I'm guilty of this. This is you know not good. And then my lawyer said to me, she goes, this might look at jail time and I just I went into shock because it was just something so far out of my spectrum or thought process of something I'd ever had to deal with and then when I got sentenced they literally take you from the the dock put you in handcuffs and take you through a door behind the courtroom was full there was you know media in there family friends all that sort of thing and they all started you know crying and there was a bit of an uproar inside the uh, inside the courtroom, but then as soon as I went through the door, one of the legal team on my side, she said, Clint, you're going to jail. This is going to happen, but you are going to get through it, and one day you'll look back, and this will all be a thing of the past. But for now, this is happening, and there's nothing you can do about it. If there was ever time to be a man and be strong for yourself, for your family, for your friends, for your girlfriend right this very second is the time and as soon as she said that it's like I somewhat sat up I got tall I was in tears I was crying I was petrified I was scared but I think when people talk about the fight or flight instinct that comes to you I guess I'm very fortunate and blessed that I think I've got a lot more you know fight in me than flight so I think um, you know it was time for me to to go through something that maybe I'll, most people will never get to experience. And even one of the guys that I was in jail with, he was doing a life sentence, told me, he goes, mate, if you think about it, you've got to experience something that not many people will ever get to do. And he goes, you're a normal kid. You're not a criminal. You're not a thug. Regardless of what happened and how it happened, he goes, you're in here. You're going to get out. You're never going to come back here. So just think about where you are what you've done and be proud of yourself for the way you've handled yourself and your time in jail you know and it's a it's a pretty scary daunting place and especially for a little blonde haired surfy kid to go into with somewhat of a with a profile it was uh yeah it was terrifying so give us a bit so you've gone into jail give us the a a day-to-day what went on you know you got up in the morning and, and and give us a an insight through that six month period uh yeah six months is it doesn't sound like a lot people you know look back to six months ago and think that was only yesterday but for me a day was a week a week was a month and a month felt like a year because you just hey you're so scared for your life there's some very serious people in there b your whole entire dreams your career your sponsors aren't there 
Um, what's going to happen afterwards? Uh, are you going to get back on track? Are you going to be able to do what you were doing before? Like being growing up as a pro surfer, you don't have the education that most people have. I left school at a young age to be on tour. Um, I was making decent money at the time, so was all that going to be there? But yeah, jails—it's um, a—it's a very scary place. Uh, looking back, I think there's different segments to it obviously but i think the first seven days were some of the worst because after you get sentenced you literally go into that back room like i was saying earlier and you go down an elevator shaft into these holding cells and whilst they're doing all the paperwork and everything they come in they take your clothes off you they put them in the plastic bags you're sitting there you know pretty much in your underwear, then they bring you in your jail issue clothes, which are essentially these rags. They're not these nice new track pants or anything that you see in the movies. They're secondhand things with holes in them. And, you know, you might have an extra large shirt and an extra small pair of shorts or something like that. So um, automatically you're just in this weird state of just being uncomfortable. And, um, yeah, that's that first seven days I was just in shock they throw people into the tank that are just doing in and out overnight. Some of the people are waiting to go to jail. A lot of the people in there are coming down off some pretty hard drugs. And also I remember when I was getting put into that, that holding cell, the police were really nice to me and the, and the, uh, and the jail staff, they were probably a bit too nice to me where I started to get paranoid to think what's going on here. But uh, they said to me, they're like, don't tell them your name. Don't tell them what you're in for. Just put on a facade, act like one of them, and you'll be okay. So I was like, okay, yeah. time to put on a brave face, go in there. And they're like, what's your name? Straight away, I went, oh, I'm Clint. <laughs> and they said, what, what are you in for? And that's when I said, oh, just, you know, bit of, bit of this, bit of that, you know, it doesn't matter. And tried to get along like these people who I clearly weren't like them. And then I remember laying on the ground in this like little communal, maybe, you know, four metres by six metre bit of concrete underground watching a TV and all of a sudden my story came on. Professional, 20, right. 21 or 22 year old professional surfer, Clint Kimmons, um, found guilty of unlawful wounding of so-and-so, was being sentenced to whatever and everyone just looked at me like, huh? that's you and I was like oh my god I've been caught out so instantly paranoid <laughs> thinking everyone's going to beat you up and that and then I just remember one of these big guys looking over at me and giving me a little wink and he's like you're all right mate you're all right <laughs> but then you get paranoid you're like am I right like this big guy's winking at me what does that mean <laughs> you know you, you, it's like does this guy like me or yeah so you, you're just constantly paranoid in there and scared for your life basically yeah mate it would be tough but so you just you think the all the times of being an athlete and competition and surfing helped you get through mentally in in jail? I think so for sure. I think there would be a bit of a correlation between competition and getting through jail in the sense that if it wasn't your life on the line and it wasn't so scary and so serious. It would nearly be a fun game like the Big Brother house. You get set these tasks. You've got to get through and accomplish these tasks without becoming unpopular. And it's a lot like being in jail. You've got to try and just float through there without being seen. Don't be too quiet because then you might be seen as you know a sheep or 
you know, like a pushover, but also, you know, I was doing six months, which is nothing compared to guys who I was eating dinner with who were doing 12, 15, 25 years. So you also had to be very mindful of your surroundings. So, you know, I was, I was quiet in there. I read a lot of books. I trained a lot. I think that's where my love for fitness and just trying to better myself physically and obviously the, the, the mental gains that come with a physical body. But uh, I just tried to use the time as constructively as possible, as much as I was scared, as much as I was worried and didn't know where life was going to go once I got out. But I wanted to make sure that the day that I did get out, I'm in the best possible headspace. I'm in the best possible physical condition to hit the ground running at 100 miles an hour to get back on the board, get back in the water and get back on tour and get back to what I to what I know I'm good at and basically one of the few things that I can do well. So, yeah, for me, I was just trying to motivate, motivate myself for day one. Day one, let's go. With... Um being inside was there any close calls at all that you had uh or, yeah or you had the chance to like you said duck a weave and, and, and play that game for sure I, I think um I, each day i would employ these tactics of how i'm going to get through the day so basically little things like each week you have a buy-up which you can go to this like tuck shop and you've got this little card that has it's like a, a digital currency on it where you can buy soap, you can buy cooking oil, you can buy little luxuries, chocolate, things like that. And I knew there was a few guys who used to push in the line and basically try and just claim dominance and be really tough and strong and you know stand over people. That's how they got their kicks. And if they got in a fight, they didn't care because they were in for 20 years and they'd probably get a slap on the wrist and it wouldn't be worth going through the courts. But... I knew what time those guys would go there, so I would wait till after them, or if I saw them coming, I would forget something and leave the line and go back to my cell and grab something and come back five minutes later. And it's not the fact that I didn't want to stand up to them, but I'm like, I've got to weigh things up here. It's just not worth it. I was in there on a violent charge. If I were to lay a finger on anybody, they would put through the extra 18 months onto my sentence on top of the six months where I was due to get out if everything went fine. So to the point I was pretty much ready to get bashed if it meant I didn't have to defend myself. And I saw how easily I got put in there and how how quick things can change. And, you know, I never attacked anybody. I literally defended myself and then I was put in jail. So what if the same thing happened in jail? What if I got jumped again, land a couple lucky punches, someone gets hurt, it's on camera, the jail gets shut down, Chinese whispers happen, you know, Clint Kimmons, the surfer, is not the little blonde guy anymore. It's Clint Kimmons, the the convicted criminal with an unlawful wounding. Um, yeah charge on his rap sheet so yeah for me i just had to get through it under the radar so to speak well mate that six months finally is up what was the feeling when you got released oh it i i say i say this to a few people but i don't have any children or anything like that but i don't think there's a better feeling on earth than the day you get out of jail like you know, I met some good people in there and there's, you know, you've also got to think it's not just big, tough, evil criminals. There's also a lot of people who might have been in there for similar reasons to me. Some people who are tax accountants that 
are decent people who have just you know made a couple of mistakes here and there but I can't think of a better feeling you know I know having children or you know watching people grow up might be pretty cool but uh, yeah it was the greatest feeling on earth and then from there did you go straight back into the surfing I basically did yeah like of course at the start I wanted to spend time mostly with my girlfriend because she was there through me throughout the whole thing catch up with my friends but I remember waking up super early the day after I got out I think it was like 2 or 3 a.m. I remember doing a 10k run before like in the moonlight before the sun came up driving down to my local wave d-bar paddling out in the dark everybody saw me out there and I remember by the time I got out I had sore ribs from laying on the board and I was like you know a little bit all over the place in the water but everybody was just giving me every single wave a set would come through and the whole lineup would be like go Clint go this is yours and at a place like the Gold Coast where it's really hard to catch a wave and some consider as the most crowded waves on earth that stuff doesn't happen so there's a lot of positives to take from the whole experience and you know getting called into any wave you want at D-Bar is probably one of them did you find when you're getting around uh, you know those weeks after coming out was there any paranoia like people looking at you even though they just sort of looked at you did you think oh they're looking at me because of what I've done or yeah, where I've been. Uh, there, there, there probably would have been a little bit of that, but the main thing that jumps to mind is, I think I got I got out mid morning or something, and then I remember that afternoon going to get a haircut at the shopping mall. Like I went to a nice hairdresser and got a nice haircut and all that sort of thing because I didn't want to get one inside because my whole tactic inside was to avoid anything that could happen to where I could wind up in strife. So obviously someone else in jail putting scissors close to my head you know I was I was paranoid or just being very cautious inside but um I remember sitting there and she's like oh how's your day been and I remember just saying oh yeah good thanks you know same old same old but imagine I told her I was like well at eight o'clock this morning I was in a maximum security jail wearing my you know my prison rags and (laughs) people just wouldn't understand that so it really made me think that even people that we walk past in the street on a daily basis, you just don't know their story. You know, you might walk past people dealing with terminal illnesses. You might walk past someone who literally just got out of jail for 20 years and hasn't seen the ocean. People have just got so many dramas. And I remember just thinking that you don't know people's story. You know, we're all just, you know, we're all just floating through this crazy world, you know, somewhat aimlessly but yeah there's just people out there that have either got dramas or you know you might walk past a billionaire and it's just that sort of blew me away yeah i mean everyone there's a good message there though that everyone has a rough time uh during their life but i think that what saved you is that is that fact of exercise and 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 close support when you go through something that's um you know a, a dark time in your life for sure, mate, and uh, you know, I I am so thankful to have those people. And looking back at it now, the positives I got out of that experience far outweigh the negatives. I learnt who my friends were, the people who really, really cared about me. I learnt what the media is like. I learnt what the system is like. The so-called justice system is very far from it, and I guess that's probably why I'm a a little bit anti-establishment to this day because 
one day I believed in a system that was there to protect you and to 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 make things right and then to be found guilty of something which I didn't think was wrong and I'm not saying you know the, the wounding was wrong but just the way things happened and the way it was just me literally defending myself you know it made me lose a lot of faith in the system but you know also again I try to think of the positives where people stood by me you know I, I got new sponsors I developed this resilience to I can achieve and overcome adversity and also just taking the positive side and looking at everything instead of being stuck in traffic I remember the first time I was stuck in traffic after I got out my mate was sitting next to me he's like oh my god this is ridiculous and I'm like are you kidding we're sitting in a comfortable car with the air conditioning on listening to our favorite music I'm like this is brilliant so even just simple things like that you just don't know what you've got until it's taken away and there's so many you know memes and cheesy cliches you could come up with but you know we've all got it pretty good and if you are present moment orientated things are never really that bad you know and even though I'm fortunate to have so many good friends I can guarantee to everyone listening that there's so many people out there that care about them that they may not think do and until something bad happens to you it doesn't really show it but you know we've all got so many people out there that care about us and I think we need to give each other and ourselves a pat on the back and you know ease up off ourselves a little bit and stop being so hypercritical on ourselves in terms of who we should be and where we're meant to be in certain areas of our life you know whether it be age financial success sporting success relationships you know there's a lot to give ourselves credit for and I think if you can only just find the ways to somehow see the good in yourself and others I think the world will be a bit better of a place yeah well said and um, I couldn't agree more I think people just need to have a look at how you know the good stuff they've got in their life you know everyone's going to be at different levels but you know we've all got good stuff that we've um, that we've done achieved throughout our lives yeah for sure mate like to give the listeners a bit of a a background so you know my surfing career went on for a few years afterwards but when I got out of jail I had this extreme level of fitness and love for fitness and what I could get out of just not torturing myself but just training my body and my mind to be stronger fitter better faster all these sort of things so I pretty much walked away from my surfing career after getting a lot of success. I didn't qualify for the tour, but I got a lot of success when I was out of jail. And then I was so in love with the fitness side of things that I actually started doing triathlons. And now I'm actually a professional triathlete. I've competed at some of the world's fastest, craziest races, racing some of the fastest guys on earth. And if I didn't go to jail and go through what I went through, there's not a chance in hell that I would be a triathlete. I would have surfed for a number of years. Maybe I would have had more success than I got. Maybe I wouldn't have. I would probably be bitter, you know, now that I'm 37 years old, you know, I I doubt I'd be a professional surfer, whereas now I'm still competing as a professional triathlete. And looking back, I think I'm, I'm happier now as a triathlete than I ever was as a surfer and it might sound crazy but like like maybe it was all good you know like looking back I don't think I'd change anything as painful as scary as daunting as it all was like 
I love my story and I'm, I'm actually very proud of what I went through and how it happened. And whilst I'm not condoning violence or anything along those lines, defending myself out of that scary situation at the party was a no-brainer. It's something I had to do. Going through the jail system, coming out the other side, relatively normal, coming out fitter, stronger, healthier, um, was a massive positive. And now looking at my life as a lifeguard, a professional triathlete, I've got a great group of friends. Um, you know, I don't have a million dollars sitting in the bank that I might have had if I was a surfer, but I love my little life. You know, it's great. I'm, 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 I'm stoked, and I think. I've got a good realization of who I really am, you know. So, um, yeah, for me, I'm, I'm in a pretty good little space, mate. Uh, yeah, I've known you for a few years now, and, and you're definitely in a, in a great space. And thanks for coming on and, and telling your story because I think that's going to really help a lot of young people uh, that are out there now uh, in those crossroads. Things could have gone bad for them; they're coming out of it, or you know, you never know when you may end up going into a, a bad period of your life. So it's great advice and um, appreciate you telling your story. Yeah, no worries, mate. And thanks for giving me the opportunity to tell it. It's something that, you know, I don't walk around telling a lot of people about it because a lot of people can take it different ways. But, you know, you can do your research. There's a lot on Google if people want to Google the real story and look into the depths of really what happened and um, the ins and outs of it. But I hope it does resonate with some people young or old that you know you can like I was on rock bottom like it was the darkest of dark for me and I came out the other side very well I'm living a life that I'm extremely happy with I've got a great network of friends I've got a good secure job great sponsors you know life couldn't be all that much better you know so um you know if people want to reach out to me I'm on Instagram you can jump into my inbox I whilst I'm not great on there I always try and get back to people if you've got any questions you know I think I owe it to people because I know how much it helped me when I was in strife that people were there for me so if I can repay the favor that's what I'm here for mate great advice and uh Thanks for uh, popping in the uh, beach shack once again, mate. No worries, mate. Thanks for having me on. Thanks, Clint, for giving us an insight into that story. Now, let's go to Beach Banner. Okay, this week in the beach shack, um, I've decided to go outside of the Bondi area and touch into the Maroubra lifeguards and just get an insight into some of the... uh, back-end information I don't know about and uh, see if I get something on some of our guys like your Harrys and your Whippets and uh, see if I can get some uh, intel. So it's a warm welcome, yeah, Brad Rope, Ropey from uh, over there, the lifeguards at uh, Maroubra. Yes, Hop, how are you, mate? I'm good, Stop mate, I'm on. good. Mate, it's good you've uh, you've popped in because uh, I've always liked to get a bit of uh, intel on the other lifeguards. So I've gone outside of our, our area and... Uh, see what we can do so i thought we'd start with the first one with harry's because you are related to harry's yeah yeah so uh harry's is my uncle you know we call him in the family's uncle anthony which is pretty <laughs> funny especially due to the fact that he's only six years older than us um it, my grandmother had him pretty late and my mother had me pretty early in life so yeah mate it's it's funny, obviously, you know, him being my uncle and, you know, his twin brother, Sean, they've been a big part of my life and they're pretty much like big brothers. So, 
Yeah, got plenty of goss on the boys. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's uh, let's dive into it and uh, yeah, let's give us uh, a little bit of goss. That, that yeah, all these listeners like- out there, they've they've seen Bondi Rescue, they've seen what he's like. He's a, he's a lunatic. Um, but let's get uh, behind the scenes stuff. Look, to be honest, like I believe, like what you see on TV is what you get through Harry's. He does not stop. You know, if he's if he's at the beach working on TV or at home with his family, he does not stop. You know, I obviously see him a fair bit. Um, you know, outside of the beach and and everything like that, but. You know, even at Christmas time and Easter, when we all catch up as a big family, mate, he's still going mad. You know, he's always the life <laughs> of the party and always carrying on. And you know, I, I know you know what you see on TV is literally what you get. He, he's a hundred percent nonstop the whole time. Mate, I remember going swimming training with him at uh, you know you kick off at five a.m. and he turned up the pool like it was about like eleven a.m. You know, he'd been up for about five hours. He was just. 100 miles an hour, everyone else is still half asleep. He's just one of those guys. It's like the ever-ready battery, mate. You just put it in and off he goes. Yeah, and, and I think his secret behind it is the coffee. He was the one who actually got me into drinking coffee. He used to <laughs> always ring me up and go, mate, let's go for a train, you know, let's go run the beach and stuff like that. And he'd literally always come down with two cappuccinos. I go, mate, I don't drink coffee. He goes, just have one, just have one, just have one. So I'm sitting there bloody, you know, putting this coffee down my throat just to, you know, keep him happy. And um, I think it was the best training session I ever had. So from that day <laughs> onwards, every time before I trained, I'd always have a coffee. And now I'm, I'm into two coffees a day. So that must be his secret. He's just, he must have 15 coffees a day and he's just got the caffeine all day ready to go. <laughs> <laughs> Mate, what uh, anything else? What about when you're growing up and, you know, years ago around the eastern suburbs? Yeah, look, you know, it, it's all different now. We've sort of got, you know, kids and, um, you know, both our wives, uh, Emily and Lisa, are really good friends. So, you know, it's a lot different these days. But, you know, one thing that uh, I remember, like, you know, growing up partying with him and stuff like that was um, I think he was the, this obviously before he was married, he was a part of that Cleo Bachelor of the Year. <laughs> and um, it was the year that Eamon Sullivan won and Harry's, I don't know, I think he's told everyone that he was second or third or something like that and <laughs> and that night we, you know, we, we partied all night with Eamon Sullivan and I, I think back at the after party, you know, he was still going that he should have won and, you know, everyone yeah. that was hanging around, you know, Harry's was basically convincing everyone that he should have won and, mate, it, it's, it's been a, a it's been a, you know, long life with him, you know, I, I was there for his 18th, his 21st and, yeah, yeah, he's definitely a big character, mate. And, um, yeah, yeah, he's always the life of the party, that's for sure. <laughs> mate, he is. He's, uh, he's, he's pretty crazy and he has settled down recently, so that's probably a good thing. Um, oh, mate, totally. You know, his kids are the same age as my kids in, in a sense. And, um, yeah, as I said, the, the wives are both really good friends. There was one time at Bali and, um, you know, we're sitting there at Padma and, you know, we've got the girls, you know, sitting by the pool and he goes, mate, let, let's go for a surf. And there's this little, you know, little right-hander in front of that Padma um, hotel there. And, mate, I think we were out there for about two or three hours and I was gone. I was like, mate, let's let's go back in. And he was about 45 minutes behind me. I'm sitting by the pool with the girls, you know, drinking a smoothie or something like that. And he literally come in. I don't even think he ate anything and he just kept on checking the surf. He goes, mate, let's get back out. Let's get back out there. I go, mate, we're on holidays. Relax. And he goes, I'm going. I'm going. And it would have been a one, two-foot little fat right-hander and he was just psyched on life and, and just did not stop. So, yeah, he's 
he's even now, yeah, you know, with yeah. the kids and stuff like that, he's always on his electric bikes and and everything. He's yeah, he's a hundred miles an hour, but that's why we love him, I suppose. Yeah, mate, he loves it. He, um, I remember him. He always says to me, he says, "Mate, the surf's pumping," and I said, "We, <laughs> I must be in a different beach because it's dead set Bondi be on shore, closing out two foot, absolutely shit house." And yeah. uh, he's telling me it's, it's this perfect right hander. So yeah, yeah, nothing's changed, mate. Nah, it's good. You know what I mean? It, it's unreal. It keeps everyone going, which is the best yeah. thing about it. You know, obviously, even though we're related, um, you know, he's he's heavily, you know, he loves the rab- uh, the roosters and I love the rabbitos. So we've always had that rivalry between yeah. us, you know. His father and brother are, you know, very heavily involved in the roosters and, and I'm a mad rabbito. So, you know, every time yeah. there's a local derby, mate, we always catch <laughs> up and, yeah, have a laugh. No, man, that's great. So, Ropey, mate, thanks for stopping into the uh, Beach Shack. It's uh, great to have a chat, and uh, I'll catch up with you again soon. Sweet as hop. Legend, mate. Stoked to be here. You. Now it's time to have a listen to the fans in the mailbag. This letter's from Laura, and she's from the UK. Her question is, who won last year's Lifeguard Challenge? Well, Laura, the uh, challenge was usually individual, as you know, but this year we decided to do it a little bit different as we've been working in uh, small pods. We thought we'd make it a team's event, uh, pretty much keeping to the pods that everyone was working in. Also, we brought in the professional athletes in the Nutri-Grain Iron Men and Iron Women, and we put one in each team. So the teams were uh, made up of the pods and then also we had a, a group of a casuals in, in another team. Chapo's team ended up winning, which on paper was probably the worst team that we probably possibly could have. Um, and then they had just an absolute blinder in the surf. There was a bit of a wave and as you know, uh, luck can play a part when you're in the, in the ocean. So Chapo's team uh, really excelled and uh, beat all the other teams, but they did have one gun though, because they had Ali Day, who's the uh, probably one of the best Ironman in the country, and he uh, he helped them out. But uh, Chapo's leg on the foam board, the cool light, pretty much uh, put them from I reckon about fourth or fifth into first place, and they never looked back from there. So this year the teams really worked well, and I think uh, we may continue that next year. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Remember to subscribe to Life's a Beach wherever you get your podcasts and hit us up with questions, comments, or follow us on our social media channels, which you can find in our show notes. That's it for today, beach fans. Stay safe and swim between the flags.